Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Romans chapter 10 between verses 1 and 3. I was explaining the subject of religion, the appeal of religion, the temptations that people experience when it comes to religious systems, that they will have the temptation to embrace religious systems and religious beliefs because they believe that they will be able to use that in order to control and manipulate other people, or they will be able to use that in order to compare themselves with other people and say, look how wonderful I am because I am obedient and you are not, and so they effectively elevate themselves by stepping on somebody else. That there is a lot of appeal when it comes to religion because people can esteem some sense of righteousness, some sense of right standing in their community or in the relationships that they have with other people. That there is a great appeal when it comes to religion. So I was mentioning this in the previous program and I'd like to proceed with this a little bit and say that people who engage in these kinds of things need to really live by these things and really pursue these things. Now, there is history to this, and you need to consider the big picture in order to really appreciate the significance of what this is all about. From a big picture point of view, if you were to look at this from a big picture perspective, you should consider that the reason why mankind is in the situation that we are in is because of this issue. It really is because of this issue, this issue of righteousness, of law, of obedience, of repentance. It is because of this issue of religion, of a system of bondage, of a law to live by. Because if you were to look at the Garden of Eden, if you were to look at the situation there, then you would be reminded of the reason why Adam and Eve fell. They fell in the Garden of Eden because of the temptation that the devil placed on them. And that temptation was, if you know what is good and evil, and you live by what is good, and you don't do those things that are evil, then you can be like God. Or at the very least, you could be better than who you are now. You can be a better individual. This was the temptation that caused the fall of humanity, and this is the struggle and the reason why our God provided his contribution concerning religion and concerning law. He gave a law through Moses to the nation of Israel. The reason why he provided his contribution was to resolve this matter, to resolve this issue, to bring it to an end, to say, look, you people fell from the Garden of Eden, my creation. You fell from the Garden of Eden because you thought that living by the knowledge of good and evil was it. So let's do it. Let's make it happen. Let's make it work. He has allowed people the freedom to give it their best effort. He has done that. And Moses said that people needed to obey. They needed to repent and they needed to obey. In Romans chapter 10, verse 5, it says, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. If you're going to do it, then do it. That's what he says. He says, if this 
is what you are going to do if you are going to be the person who practices the righteousness which is based on the law, then you shall do it. You should live by it. This is part of the big picture, though, that God is saying, listen, let's bring this question to an end. Let's answer it. Did I create you to live this way, or did I not create you to live this way? And if I didn't create you to live this way, then will you finally acknowledge it and so we can get on with how I did create you to live? He created us to live our lives being dependent on him, not on our laws, not on the laws that he gave. He didn't create us to function that way. He did not create mankind to function on the basis of religion, on some system of bondage, on some system of law. He did not create us to function that way. He created us to function living in dependency on him. And what do I mean by dependency on him? I mean a number of things. To get started with this, you have to recognize forgiveness. You have to really depend on his forgiveness. If you don't acknowledge that, you're not even going to get started in this new life that he has called us to. There is no beginning for anyone until we acknowledge and understand and recognize forgiveness. To recognize forgiveness, you have to see that you have a need for it. You have to see that you are not righteous, that you are not holy, that you have failed, that you are wicked and evil, and you have no hope outside of his mercy. That's what the law was used for. That's how Jesus used the law. He used it, and we can still use it today. Right now, you can see, you can see that you have no hope under the law. As Moses said, The man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. So do it. If that's how you're going to live, then do it and really do it. Be committed beyond what the Pharisees ever considered. Have a zealousness for God according to your knowledge of good and evil, according to your knowledge of the scriptures. Do that. Really be committed to it and devoted to it. And you will eventually see that you have no hope and that is will be the beginning. That will be the beginning where you can actually get started in having a relationship with your God because at that point, you can receive the forgiveness that he has to offer for the reasons that he offered it. He offered forgiveness so that people could finally be at rest. They could finally be at peace. In verse 4, Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. He's not the beginning of the law. There are many people who believe he's the beginning. You know, you come to Christ and then you go to the law and you learn how you're supposed to live. That is not it. But that's what a lot of people believe. No, Christ is the end of the law. He is the end of it. And if a person wants to come to Christ, in many cases... They need to be in the law. They need some religion in their life. They need some bondage in their life so that they will eventually come to Christ. But he is at the end of that. He's not at the beginning of that. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness because righteousness is for those who will believe God. And what do you have to believe when it comes to the law? You have to believe that it's not for you. You have to believe that. If you believe that it is, then you're not believing the truth that God has revealed. You are not believing God, and so you are not righteous, and you never will be. You must recognize, you have to recognize this. Otherwise, there is no beginning for you. 
There is no beginning for you at all. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes their God. You must believe that you are hopeless and helpless, that you have a need for mercy and forgiveness. And once you believe that, once you really do, then you are able to receive the forgiveness that He has to offer, which is often quite different from the forgiveness that other people think that He is offering. This kind of forgiveness is a forgiveness that says, the law is over for you. Good and evil is over for you. The fall of humanity occurred because Adam and Eve decided to pursue a life of good and evil. Your life in Christ Jesus will begin when you cease to pursue a life of good and evil. They left the Garden of Eden and the life that he had created them for. They left that. They abandoned that. Or more correctly, he kicked them out because of what they did decide to pursue. But I want you to see that they had a way of life before. And that was a life of trust and dependency. And of course, taking care of the garden and having children and eating food and enjoying their lives, living their lives. Well, that is what you can now enter into now. You can now enter into a new life that has nothing to do with good and evil, but now enjoying the world that he has created, taking care of it and working it and benefiting from the things that are here, having children, if that applies to you, and raising them and eating good food that you are able to obtain, that you are able to grow for yourself or that you are able to trade other things for, to live your life trusting and depending on your God. Now, he's not going to lead you to a life of sin in this way. It's not as though we have to try to find some way to do absolutely nothing in our lives so that we never sin. No, there is a life for us to live that he has made available for us, that he has called us to experience, and so do that. But forgiveness is the end of the law so that you can walk in the newness of this life. How is it the end of the law? It's the end of the law because Forgiveness is what was provided for what the law demanded. The law demanded obedience or death. Forgiveness was executed by our God through death, through the death of the Messiah on the cross. And because of that, the demand of the law to die, if you're not going to obey, that demand has been fulfilled. That is the end of the law. It is the end of the law for you if you will receive his forgiveness. If you will receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit, he will then resurrect you and then you can now live according to a whole new way of life that has nothing to do with the law. And this way of life is not about the righteousness that is obtained through repentance and obedience. It is a righteousness that is about believing and trusting in what he has done, what he has said what he has given, and live according to what he has given, which is everything that you need for life and godliness. And the summary of that is him. It is him. Now, there's a big difference between knowing about your God and knowing your God. And I mentioned this at the end of the previous program a little bit. To understand the difference, it's helpful to consider knowing about somebody else or really knowing them. And I use the example of us that there are many people who know about us, but they don't really know us. And the example that I used was to say that a person might know about the things that I've done, they might know about the things that I have said, but they don't see the world through my eyes. 
and they don't hear the world through my ears, and they don't know what it's like for me to live day by day, step by step, as I live the life that I have in front of me. They don't know that, and that is something that is totally different from knowing about what I've done or knowing about the things that I have said. There are two different ways to perceive knowledge, especially when it comes to a person. And I mentioned this to tell you that if you're going to know your God, you're going to have to go well beyond, you're going to have to go far beyond the idea of knowing about the things that he has said and about the things that he has done. You're going to have to go beyond that and see the world through his eyes. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, if he sees the world through the lens of forgiveness, through what he has accomplished, through forgiveness... If you do not understand the true forgiveness of God, there is no way that you will ever see the world through his eyes. Again, if you're not going to understand the forgiveness of God as he has truly revealed it, then there is no way that you will ever see the world through his eyes. And so you will never know your God from that point of view. You will never really know him. You might know something about him in some way, but you're never going to be able to say that you really know him. And when you hear things in this world, you will never hear those things through his ears because you don't understand forgiveness, the necessity for it, what it really means. You don't truly understand the depravity and the condition of humanity. You don't see the big picture concerning the problems that he came to resolve through the Messiah, the problem of the law, the problem of sin and death. You have no way to experience this. There is no way to do this. And so when we talk about knowledge, the knowledge of God, we have to define that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul said, For I testify about them, referring to the religious Jews of that time, that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In verse 2, he says they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. You know, having a zeal for God with an abundance of knowledge is one thing. But having a zeal for God with the knowledge of God is something else. You see, they knew a lot about God. And people today can know a lot about God. You know, you don't even have to know the Lord. You don't even have to be saved to get an abundance of knowledge about God. You can just go to a school. There are lots of schools. Seminaries, for example, are schools that are built for the purpose of providing people with an opportunity to study God, to study about God. There are many people who pursue seminaries for that reason. And I can appreciate a person's intent when it comes to that, but they don't have to do that either. They can just simply find out what books people are using in those schools and study those instead. They can do that. You can go to the library and find an abundance of books about God. You can study the Bible. You can memorize every verse in the Bible. You can do that. And you can have an abundance of knowledge, and you can be very zealous for the knowledge. I know many people who have a significant and incredible amount of knowledge when it comes to the scriptures. 
They have an incredible amount of knowledge when it comes to the history of the church, the development of the church, and they know all about all the modern-day preachers and what they have to say and their perspectives on various subjects that people find important. They might be the personification of a catalog of all the knowledge that is available in the world, and yet they don't know the Lord. They don't know Him. Now, having an abundance of knowledge is not the issue. The issue is, do you know your God? And when a person recognizes that the real issue is not the amount of knowledge you have or how zealous you are for it, when a person sees that, that it's not about that, that it's about knowing their God, then the only thing that is important is having the right knowledge. Whether you have a lot or a little is of no importance. It won't matter. The only issue is, is do you know him at all? Do you know him a little bit? Do you know a little bit about him? Do you believe what he has already had to say about forgiveness? Do you believe what he has had to say about the subject of living according to good and evil? Living according to a system of law, even the law that he gave through Moses? Do you understand some of the basic fundamentals about what he sees and why he is doing what he is doing, the basic issues concerning forgiveness and law and the new life that he has called us to, to live a life of rest and peace? If you know something, then that is more, that is of greater value than memorizing the scriptures. It is of greater value than that. If you know something about the grace and mercy of God for what it really is, if you know that, then you know him. You know him because you know how he is gracious. You know how he is merciful right now. You know how he is. And you know how he relates to the people who are around you in that context. You see others through his eyes and you hear others through his ears. And when you walk in your daily life and you participate in the world that you are a part of, you know him also because you know that he also is participating in this life that we have right now. And you know how he is interacting with the people that are here. And you know that he is using every opportunity at his disposal to call people to himself and so that they might know who he is. You know what that means. And so when you hear Paul say, beginning in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. You know what that means because you know they don't have it. And you know the difference between having it and not having it. In verse 2, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Well, they had a lot of knowledge. They had plenty of knowledge. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that they didn't know their God. They only knew the knowledge of him. In verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. That was where they had to get started. And the only way that they could truly get started with that would be, this is the only way anyone can get started with this, you have to believe that there is no hope outside of his forgiveness and mercy. You really have to believe that. In verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That means he's the end of that, but that he is the beginning of something else. And if a person is not ready to come to the end of the law, then we have verse 5. 
For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. That's the answer. You have to just simply be committed and be devoted in a way that's greater than what you have done before. More than what you have done before. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Otherwise, you will in no way see the kingdom of heaven. In verse 6, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Well, in a way, ascending into heaven, just on the surface, to talk about this from the perspective of the law, the idea of righteousness by the law is that you are going to ascend You are going to raise up. And the way that I described this before was to say that you are able to raise yourself up by stepping on somebody else. That you're going to ascend into heaven by stepping on somebody else who is not as impressive as you are. That is what it means to ascend into heaven through your pursuit of the law. But the righteousness based on faith does not speak in that way. We do not say in our heart who will ascend into heaven by their repentance and obedience. We recognize that the only way that we will ascend into heaven is by his mercy. That's it. That is the only way. And then in verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In the sense that we will push other people down so far that they will go to the abyss. Or that we can overcome the abyss. That even if we were to go down into the abyss, we could come out. We could be extracted out. He could bring us out of there from the depths of the abyss. Because of how impressive we are. Because of how holy we are. Because of how valuable we are in that sense. In verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, in verse 9, he says that the end result of all of this from verse 1 to verse 9 is that you will be saved if you will acknowledge Jesus as your Lord. You cannot say Who is going to ascend into heaven? Or who can withstand a descent into the abyss? It has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with the fact that you must recognize your condition and his provision so that you can be saved. And the only way you can be saved is if you recognize Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Now, just believing that, just in and of itself, is not enough. You have to believe more about that. There's there's a lot I have to say about verse 9, because there are a lot of people who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, but they don't know Jesus from anyone. So there's a lot that needs to be recognized concerning this statement and not just take it at face value. You have to know the Jesus that he's talking about. But in the context of righteousness, in the context of the law, in the context of pursuing a life of religion, Jesus is the end of that. He is also the beginning of something else. Salvation is about being saved from the situation of the world. It is about being saved from the knowledge of good and evil. 
It is about being saved from the law, from any law. It is about being saved from religion. It is about being saved from spiritual death, yes, but it is about being saved from everything that occurred as a result of the rejection that Adam and Eve exercised against God when they didn't believe Him. Salvation is about now believing God. The fall of humanity occurred because they did not believe God. You will now be saved from that condition of fallen humanity by believing God. You must believe Him. You must believe what He has done, what He has said. And Jesus is our God. He is our Lord. He is the one who personally came to tell us what we needed to believe. You must believe Him confess and recognize that He is who He said He is, and believe in His resurrection and the purpose of it, why He resurrected from the dead, so that He could restore to you the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam, and you will be saved, and you will then have a new beginning in life. In verse 10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Sometimes it's difficult for people to consider this. It's it's hard to believe that you're not going to be disappointed. Because in our flesh, we really want to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. We really want to do that. There's great appeal involved in that. And so it is hard for people to believe that they are not going to be disappointed because so much of our lives, so much of our value, so much of who we are and how we esteem to be of value to the world that we are a part of, so much of that is wrapped up in our behavior. So much of it is defined by how good we are according to the standards that people establish. There is a sense of disappointment in turning away from those things because In general, people learn to depend on those things. But what God will give you in your relationship with Him will be greater than anything you believe you will lose. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may